0: the word of God to you this morning. After Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, my father, sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? "'He has deceived me these two times. "'He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. "'Then he asked, "'Haven't you reserved any blessing for me?' "'Isaac answered Esau, "'I have made him lord over you "'and have made all his relatives his servants, "'and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. "'So what can I possibly do for you, my son?' "'Esau said to his father, "'Do you have only one blessing, my father? "'Bless me too, my father.' Then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. For when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told what her older brother's son Esau had what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, Your brother Esau is consoling himself with the thought of killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of the land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him and commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Badam Aram, to the house of your mother's father Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. Thus ends the reading. God's holy and errant word may bless our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Amen. Amen. I hope you could see why we had to read the whole thing in order to get the whole story. And I even missed one part. Let me mention this before we formally start. And that is right before chapter 27, we read that Esau went and took Hittite wives to himself. And it greatly grieved his mother and his father. Um, So you'll see why that'll come in in a moment. Let's one more time pray for God's blessing on the proclamation of his word. Father God, we thank you that this is your word. We thank you that you tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And we thank you that you reveal to us the good, the bad, the ugly, the truth. And yet most of all, we thank you, Lord, that you overrule the affairs of men to accomplish your holy, righteous, sovereign will. And so even now, Lord, as we meditate on these words for a few moments this morning, we pray that you would strengthen our hearts, that you would make our hearts more and more of one accord with your will, and that, Lord, we would be conformed more and more to the image of your Son, Jesus, who is the chosen one, and in, in whom we have full salvation. We pray it in his name. Amen. All right, we're going to start with something very strange, probably. We're going to start with, I want to mention that there was something that happened in the book of Exodus that will help us clarify some of the things going on here in Genesis 27, and that's this. You may recall, if you read the book of Exodus, you may remember that at the beginning of the book, the midwives would help the Hebrew women give birth. Right? You might remember that. And if you might remember, Pharaoh said to the midwives, who were Hebrew, by the way, if while the Hebrew women are given birth, if it's a girl, let them live. You remember this? Some of you? Yeah. But if it's a boy, kill it. Yeah. Kill, not hit him. And if you remember what happened, it says, um, this is what we read in Exodus 1.17, the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. You remember that, right? Well, when the Pharaoh eventually took them to task and wanted to know why they didn't do what he commanded them to do, this was their cunning and even deceptive reply. Listen, it's important. This is what they said to Pharaoh. Well, you see, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. How do you like that? They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So what are they saying? By the time we got there, he was already born. Sorry about that. My bad. And this is why I bring that up. Later on in the text, it says God blessed the midwives because of what they did. And I bring that up because God clearly tells us to obey any authorities that there be on this earth because he established authorities. And so, but we see here where there's a blatant disobedience to authority, but what we need to see is whenever any authority, whether it's a parent, whether it's a governing authority, tells us to literally go against the clear word of God and to sin against God, we are not bound. To that command. As in this case, the Hebrew wives feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. And even if they did have to lose their lives, they were going to obey God and not man. You remember the apostles in the New Testament. You remember they were preaching in the name of Jesus. That was troubling the, the Jewish religious leaders. And they commanded the apostles not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore because they saw all this incredible miracles happening, people getting saved, coming into the early church. And you remember what the apostles said? You judge for yourself. Is it right to obey God or man? And so they kept on preaching. Now, they got beat up for it, but they kept preaching in the name of Jesus because that was God's will and it was the right thing to do. Now, why would I bring that all up when we're talking about Genesis 27? Well, as some of you know, um, so I'm not sitting in front of a desk all day long reading commentaries. Sometimes I like to get out in my garden or I like to do stuff where I'm moving around. So I listen to other people's sermons on the text that I'm going to preach on. So it kind of helps me get in that frame of mind, helps it percolate in my mind. And I got to say, this time I was amazed at how wrong these preachers were. They go on and on to criticize Rebecca. They go on and on. They just sit there and tear her apart. And I think what's, what's important to see is, as much as some folks, some preachers spent a lot of time speaking about how manipulative, how deceptive Rebecca was, how badly she showed favoritism to Jacob over Esau, to the point of orchestrating. Listen, we've got to see this. When you read these, these details, it's so interesting. She went so as far as to orchestrate one of the most incredible cons in history. Can I get an amen? Like, when you read that, you say, how'd she pull that off? So this woman was, some, was a force to be reckoned with. Amen? She was quite a woman. And I think what we need to see here is that just like all of us, we forget this so often because we want to be the heroes of the story, but just like all of us, Rebecca was saved by grace through faith. And that means she was a mixture, hello, of pure and bad motives. Ever think about that? You think everything you do for Jesus is for pure motives? I'll tell you what, whenever I search, you know what? Search me, oh Lord, see if there be, oh, that's a scary prayer. Because the Lord goes, oh, now that you're talking about it, right? Why did you help that person out? Just because you love me? Or maybe there's some other stuff going on. Or why'd you pick that particular ministry to volunteer for? May not always be out of sacrificial love for Jesus. Well, why would we judge her any differently than we judge ourselves? Before we attribute poor, pure shrewdness and intrigue to this dear Old Testament saint, let's remember, now this is the thing that really hit me, because it's, it's in the text. That's why I didn't like what the, the other preachers were saying. They weren't dealing with the text. Notice one very important detail, and we would only know this if we've been going through Genesis or if you read it before, because in chapter 25, you remember what the Lord told her? She had the two twins in her womb. She had the twins in her womb. And what did God tell her in chapter 25? The older will serve the younger. The point being is, Rebecca knew all along, Jacob's getting the blessing. At least that was God's will. Now, her problem obviously came in and she had to try to manipulate and deceive and not rest in the Lord. Knowing that his will would be done. That's the issue. And that's where, where we get you know, both her flesh and the spirit working in her. Because she knew from God's very mouth that Jacob would be the one who would inherit the blessing of Abraham. You remember what God said to Abraham? I will bless you. All nations, I will make you into a great nation. All nations on earth will be blessed through you. And I will give you a promised land. Well, you remember We went through that whole thing that that Abraham kept trying to give that blessing to um, his other son, Ishmael. But you remember God said, "Uh uh-uh, it's Isaac, the miraculous, the son born in a miraculous way. He's the one that's going to receive the blessing. And now we have the same thing. It should be Esau by rights of he being the older brother. But instead God says, we're going to break that too, just to show you. We're going to talk about that in a moment, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. But it's through that line, that's the interesting thing. All this intrigue, all this craziness. As we're going to see, they put the fun and dysfunction, this family. And yet through it all, God's sovereign grace is going to shine through like a beacon. Because I will say this from the pulpit until the day God takes my breath on this earth. It's one of the very fundamental lessons that we have to come to terms with. I don't care what your theological persuasion is. We have to know this for a fact. God is God. He's God. Man isn't. Never will be. Now the question comes in as to whether she favored Jacob right from the start because of the prophecy or if as her flesh kicked in, there was a bond that was created. Because we remember in chapter 25 too, it says she favored him, but why? Because he was a homebody. Jacob liked to hang around the tents. You know, vacuum for his mother, you know what I'm saying? Whereas we got Esau doing what? He was out, He was a manly man. He was hairy, that guy. Uh, he might have had a little Italian in him, I don't know. But he was out there. And he loved hunting game and his dad, that, that, that spoke the right language, right? The way to a man's heart is through his what? Stomach. And so she favored Jacob more. And we don't, like I said, we don't know exactly what caused her to go into this to such great lengths to pull off such a crazy, deceptive plan, but we have to see something here. Isaac, who was the head of the home, Ephesians 5 holds true, he was the head of the home. One of my friends calls it the fed head, the federal head of the home. Uh, So she said, what does the fed head have to say? I'm like, now wait a minute. Um, But he favored Esau, and here's the thing that's interesting, when we pick on Rebekah, we fail to see sometimes this. Isaac knew very well from the prophecy, because there's no way his wife kept that from him, that Jacob was going to get the blessing. And yet, what was Isaac about to do? He was about to flout the clear word of the Lord. Did you notice that? In other words, instead of blessing Jacob, he he was like, hey, son, to Esau, go out and get me that game. You come back, you feed me, man, you're going to get the blessing. So when we pick on Rebecca, let's not forget Esau. I mean, let's not forget, excuse me, Isaac was not functioning as the covenantal head of his house the way he should have been. Right? Now, you ever, you ever hear the expression, he was thinking with his heart, not with his, I mean, with his uh, heart, not with his head? Well, Isaac wasn't thinking with either. He was thinking with his stomach. So much though that he, listen, so much so, this is where his culpability comes in. He was willing to put the entire plan and purposes of God at risk, humanly speaking. Simply because of his own earthly, fleshly appetite and preferences. Hello? How many people today, and sometimes even we as believers, fall into that? And what I want you to notice, it's very interesting. If we go back to Genesis 25, 28, it doesn't tell us why Rebekah loved Jacob. It just says Rebekah loved Jacob. That's all we read. But it's interesting with Esau, with with, um, Isaac, it tells us flat out that Isaac loved him more because of the game, because of the food that he brought. Isn't that interesting? Well, back to the point. So Rebecca overhears Isaac speaking to Esau and his plan to have him bring some cooked game and receive the blessing. So she came up with a plan of her own on the fly. You know, like what I'm going to have to do when I go down to covenant. I'm going to have to make up a plan on the fly. But she's a lot more clever than me, apparently, because you can see in this text. In order that the right son will get the blessing. Now here's another thing. As I was reading through it again and again, it hit me. You know how we pick on Jacob the deceiver? Right, his name means deceiver, tricker. I think he got some of that from his mother. Can I get an amen? Yes. Because man, she was good at this. So you know, we say like father, like son. Well, truly, like mother, like son. In this instance, incident, instance. instance. Excuse me. So this de- the details make for an incredibly interesting and entertaining story, to be sure. Think about this: dressing up like his brother. You know, takes his own clothes up right. And then he gets that the, the goat hair on his hands. I mean, she's really down to some pretty specific detail. Serving the delicious meal just the way he makes it. She must have been a good cook to be able to imitate exactly the way Esau does it. Now, she had this plan down to the tiniest detail, except, here's where it gets interesting. Except for two small things that you would have thought would have blown the whole con. The first thing that makes Isaac suspicious, if you notice, Isaac is suspicious all the way to the end. Did you pick that up in the text? He kept saying, "Ah, uh, you sure? <laughs> you are your Esau." Well, the first thing that makes him suspicious is, "Whoa, how'd you get back so quick?" I mean, you just left a couple minutes ago. You're trying to tell me you found the game, you killed the game, you slaughtered it, you fixed it up, you you cooked it, and you got back that quick. I don't know about you, now I'm not a hunter, but I do some fishing and stuff. It takes a long, that process is not quick. To cook it, I mean to catch it, to clean it. That's a long, and so he right away said, wait a minute, something isn't isn't adding up here. Right? Right? But then there's the second thing you would have thought by then, the jig is up. He says this, it says this. um, Jacob went close to his father Isaac who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob. <laughs> you with me on that? Yeah. The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Right. <laughs> now I'm telling you, I would have thought the next verse would say, The jig is up. <laughs> right? Like in Atlantic City, you know, we're kind of streetwise, we'd have said, uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> you ain't you ain't gonna put the wool over the eyes of this jersey, boy. Game over. But instead we read this, he did not recognize him for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he blessed him. But we see he's still skeptical. Look at verses 24 and 27. Are you really my son Esau, he asked? I am, he replied. Man, Jacob just kept bald lying, didn't he? <laughs> just over and over again. You know how you do something once, you kind of feel bad, your conscience starts bothering you. Jacob, I am. That's me. Now, all of us, if we had a number of kids, we always had that one kid that could just do it well, can't he? Look you straight in the eye. Although Isaac couldn't see, so. So it's interesting. Now, listen, this is important, these details. My son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I I may give you my blessing. So notice, Jacob brought it to him, and he ate. And he brought him some wine, and he drank. Then his father said to him, his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So when he went to him and kissed him, when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him. Now, humanly speaking, this is all kinds of messed up. What do I mean by this? So clearly, Isaac knew something wasn't right about this whole thing. It didn't add up. We just talked about that. Timing wasn't right. The voice was clearly Jacob's. We have the idea that Isaac isn't 100% sold. But listen, this is where it really hit me when I looked at the details. But after eating the food, it says... After drinking the wine and smelling his clothes, he gives in and gives Jacob the blessing. Why do I point that out? Now, again with these commentators, forgive me. I'm not always right either. But in this case, there were some people that had a lot of clunkers. Some commentators suggest, well, Isaac was senile at this point. Now, a couple problems with that. The text doesn't say anything about him being senile. Do you see anything in there about him being seen out? Not to mention, he lives a long time after this. And we see what he says in, in other instances. He's sharp. Right. We do see his physical um, illness mentioned, but what is it? It's his eyes. And, they are weak. and they're weak. He they, they can't see. It has nothing to do with his mind. Right. So that's not a good, good reason. Now, I want, you know, sometimes you read things into the text this is how I wanted to read it. I've got to be honest with you. I'm a sinner too. I sometimes read stuff in. I thought maybe Isaac knew in his heart all along that what he was trying to do was wrong and that even though he, he knew he was being bamboozled, he did the right thing in the end. That sounds good, right? Here's the problem. The text makes it clear that this wasn't the case because later on when he realized he's been bamboozled and deceived by Jacob, what does it tell us? He shook violently. He was not happy. He was completely upset. Didn't know what to do with as people would say beside himself. So that wasn't the case. I think we have to conclude that Isaac fell into the sin of allowing his bodily appetites to guide his actions instead of the Holy Spirit. Because what, what guided Isaac? Even in his past, unfortunately. His taste? His smell? His touch, it's all earthly, isn't it? And it literally got him into some big trouble here. Because instead of following the word of the Lord, hello, sound familiar? How many times in my life I look back when I messed up it's because I followed my bodily appetites and not the word of the Lord Jesus. And I wonder why I had to pay the consequences. Thank God he forgives, but there's still consequences to not listening to the Lord. I think this, if there's anything this text shows us, once again, that even the strongest of believers have feet of clay. And that means we constantly have to be on guard against sin and against, against unbelief creeping into our lives and leading us to make these decisions that are based on the flesh, not on the spirit, not on the word of God. Now just a couple more moments here on the characters involved in this. If you notice in this sermon, I didn't give you the theme and points. That's actually going to come a little bit at the end. So I tricked you. But just a couple moments on Esau. One more character in this. Well, actually, two more. One more character in the family. And there's one thing we know about Esau as we look at these details. And that is Esau wasn't a mixture of faith and unbelief, he was a rank unbeliever. He was a rank unbeliever, he was godless. So his father Isaac was a mixture of godly and ungodly, faith and unbelief, obedience and disobedience, but Esau was flat out godless. No faith in God. And and here's the interesting thing, and sometimes we can see this in our own children, and it's super painful. Esau had the worst qualities of his father and none of the positive. That's a tragedy. That bring such sorrow and pain to a parent when they could see all their ugliness in their kid. But not any faith, not any positivity, not good character traits. First of all, we see this, that he deliberately chose to marry outside the faith. Instead of being like others in the covenant family, finding someone in the family of faith to marry, he deliberately goes out and marries two, not one, two Hittite women to the vexation of his mom and his dad. You know, in the Bible, let me tell you this, because some people are a little messed up on this. Don't listen to them when I give you this line. It says in Corinthians 7, when uh, widows who had lost their husband, when they're thinking about remarriage, Paul says, it's okay to remarry. There's nothing wrong with remarrying. Don't feel ashamed about it. But there's only one requirement. Do you remember what that requirement is? They must be what? A believer. That's right. That's right. They must be a believer in Christ. And unfortunately, I get this sometimes when you have two, a couple that wants me to marry them and somebody will say, oh, they're unequally yoked. Well, unfortunately, sometimes they're equally yoked. You know what I'm saying? They're both unbelievers. Now, it says in the text that they were a sort, these women that he married were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. It doesn't tell us why, but it only stands to reason. These women would worship false gods and idols. And their ways would be contrary to the ways of the Lord God, and this that obviously would vex the godly parents as they see the women leading their son more and more, willingly of course, into sin. And remember commandment number one, what's that? I am the Lord your God, you shall what? Have no other gods before me. worst thing about Esau is we find it in chapter 25, 34, just a couple more words here. Esau despised his birthright. You remember that? When Jacob tricked him earlier on? He basically saw it as of no value. So listen, and this is so convicting. For one moment's pleasure he sold his soul. Am I making that up? Hebrews 12:16:17 See to it that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau. See where I got that from? who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. afterward, you know when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. he could not bring about he could bring about no change of mind though he sought the blessing with tears. We just read it didn't we? Father, bless me. Father, bless me. It's, he had a great cry. But we live in a Disneyland world, don't we? Where there's always a happy ending. Right? Cinderella. Snow White. I know, but it ain't. There was no happy ending here. For him. And yes, it's God's sovereign choice, but he was culpable. It was his sinful Choices as well. So, this is a somber warning from the Word of God. We would do well to take heed and have it ringing in our ears when our flesh, the world, and the devil tempts us to give in to the cravings of our sinful nature. But here's the beautiful thing Genesis 27 is not merely about Rebekah and Jacob's cunning deceptiveness, it's not about Isaac's intention to disobey the Word of the Lord. And it's not even about Esau's, mainly about Esau's blatant unbelief and godlessness. We can and should learn lessons from all these things. As we just saw, the writer of the Hebrews brings up some of these things. Certainly the New Testament brings up this passage for us to learn from in that sense. as examples in the case of Esau not to follow. But the main lesson we learn in Genesis 27, now I give you the theme, the theme. And here it is. Ready? Wait for it. Nothing in all creation can thwart our God's sovereign plan to save his chosen people through his chosen Savior. Isn't that awesome? That's going to be the best news you're going to hear today. I promise you that. Because there's no greater news in the world. So the good news is, not the head of a household attempting to go directly against the clear word of God. That ain't going to stop it. Not a mother and son deceptive team trying to obtain the right thing in the wrong way. That he going stop God. You think that could stop God? Not, a, not even a flagrant unbeliever found in the ranks of the chosen covenant family of believers. Because notice what happens in the end. Jacob, not Esau, gets the blessing in the end. Why? Because God's word can never fail. Remember, Paul later will say, Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So you can bet your bottom dollar, as it were, that God is going to bring about his promise to send his son back in Genesis. It's going to come through the right line, and Jesus will be born as the chosen one to save. Listen, here's the beautiful thing to save Rebecca, the conniver, to save Jacob the deceiver, and to save Isaac, who is weak, had weakness of the flesh. And to save me, and to save you, with all our list of sins and shortcomings and failures. You know, I always always see these saints, you know, they write their own autobiographies, I'm kind of like, if I even start the first paragraph, I'm like, you know what? (laughs) I'm throwing this thing right out. Because my life is checkered. I can get an amen on that one. Go ahead. I'm not offended. I wish I could say I always made the right choices. I always believed and I was always you know, skimming on top of the water. But I know my heart too well. I know my life too well. And I know I have not lived up to the high calling Christ Jesus the way I should at all times. The hymn writer said it well, even though it was in a different context, I still love the statement. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. Remember, as the Lord told Rebecca in Genesis 25, uh, 23, when they were just babies, the twins were just babies. Two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. Now here, I'm going to start preaching. We've got just a couple more minutes, but I'm going to start preaching because listen. This is not God making a prediction. Oh, now meddling. This isn't God being a seer, foreseeing what will happen in the future. He looks ahead like through a crystal ball and says, let me see what's going to happen. I want you to understand, God's not doing that here. This is the sovereign God of the universe making his eternal purposes known to his servants. S.G. DeGraff puts it this way. God maintains his prerogative in election. That's the main theme of this passage, the melodic line, if you will. Another commentator, see, I'm going to give some uh, props to some good commentators. Leupold puts it this way. He's a Lutheran commentator. He says, This chapter offers one of the most singular instances of God's overruling providence controlling the affairs of sinful men and so disposing of them that the interests of God's kingdom be safeguarded. Isn't that awesome? Oh, I'll put it in, in a little more modern English for you. God works in that mess to still get, his, get the job done. Right. Can I get an amen? amen? That he's like, okay, you can go crooked because I could use a crooked stick to hit a straight target. You get that? How do I know this is true? I always go back to the word because that's it's always the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. And you know where I'm going to go, I quoted it for our prep for worship, Romans 9. And this is what we read there. Not only that, Paul says, but Rebekah's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hate it. See, this is the best news a fallen sinner could ever, ever hear. Salvation, that is deliverance from the power and the penalty of sin. Rescue from death and hell. Think about that. A place at the table at the banquet of the lamb is a pure, unadulterated, listen, free gift of God's sovereign grace in Christ Jesus. And notice, salvation is not by works, but by him who calls. So look, why is Abraham? Why Isaac? Why even the conniving, scheming Jacob? Why are they the ones that God decides to choose and to save? And and so much to the point, listen to this. For the rest of eternity, we see through Old and New Testaments, how is the one true God of the created heaven and earth referred to? The God of who? Abraham, Isaac, and wait for it, Jacob. Many times in the Bible, he's just the God of Jacob. The other two aren't mentioned. (laughs) How could God choose such messed up, crooked sinners, make them into a holy nation, and bring out of them the blessed Savior, Messiah Jesus? Now, This is what I want us to see as we come to a close. Isn't that the question that we, each and every one of us, should be asking God on a daily basis? God, why would you pick me after all I've done against you? All my evil thoughts, yeah, all the things you hide from everybody else, God hears every one of them. All my careless words, do I have careless words. Because I'm a I'm a, blah, 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 I'm a talker, and then all the evil actions, things that I and not only the things I've done, but things God told me to do, and guess what, I didn't do it. Listen, this is powerful. I don't usually quote from Saint Bernard of Clairvaux, but he says this: If God had not loved his enemies, he would have no friends. Isn't that powerful? While I was yet a sinner, it's then that Jesus died for me. Jacob is glorying in the presence of God because of the same grace that was shown to us in Christ Jesus was shown to him back then. And he's giving eternal glory and praise to God for saving such a wretch as he. Now I do have to mention this in closing. It's important to understand this. You may hear this, and you may be like, oh, well, then it doesn't matter how you live since God chooses by his grace. Well, the one thing we have to understand, and we're certainly going to see it as we continue our study in Jacob's life in particular, one thing you have to understand is sin always has consequences. And I want you to see this. Because of the way they they tricked Esau and um, Isaac, You know what has to happen? What ends up happening? Esau wants to kill Jacob. You remember that? He says, as soon as my dad's gone, anybody ever see The Godfather? (laughs) He says, as soon as my mother's gone, I'm killing my brother. Remember? They take that from this because this is what he says. He says, as soon as dad is gone, I'm coming for you. When When Rebecca hears this, she knows there's only one thing to do, and you know what that is? Send her beloved favorite son away. And you want to hear something super sad? In this side of glory, Rebecca never sees the face of Jacob again. Sin has consequences. We're going to see it throughout Jacob's life. You think his life was, but at the end of Jacob's life, when Pharaoh, he actually has a talk with Pharaoh. You know how he characterizes his life? Jacob says, my life was short and evil. Yeah, he was saved but he brought upon himself many pains and suffering that were, that were needless. Would you want on your grave, my life, here lies Santo, his life was short and evil. The good news is this. God in his grace and his mercy His will will be done. I'm going to close with Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. You remember that passage? For it is by what? Grace you've been saved. Through faith. And notice, this not of yourselves. It's what? A gift of God. Why? So no one can brag. For we've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. All glory goes to God. Not Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, or you and me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your mercy. We thank you for this incredible, intriguing passage where we see that even though man proposes, the Lord disposes. We thank you, Lord, that you work all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. But we also thank you for the warnings from your word that keep us from false paths, from paths that will lead us to harm and destruction and and the harm of others. We thank you, Lord, that you sent Jesus, the chosen one who is greater than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all put together. And we thank you for his mercy that he's shown us on the cross and in his resurrection. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.